Crimson Tower Studios. Hey, old worlders, throughout this episode, you'll hear us reference talking about the Enemy in Shadows companion book later in the episode. Unfortunately, due to some time constraints, we had to cut the episode uh, off right after we finished talking about the Enemy in Shadows adventure book. But don't fear, we will have a complete review of the Enemy in Shadows companion book that I promise you do not want to miss. So make sure to keep your eyes and ears open for that. Thanks again and stay grim. Welcome to the Old World Podcast, the unofficial podcast for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay and the original podcast to bring you both discussion and actual play in 4th edition. I'm one of your hosts, Lance, and not only am I joined by my usual duo of deviousness, Matt and Steve, we're also joined by a very special guest and alumni to the show, Graham Davis. Welcome back to the show, Graham. Well, thank you, and thank you for having me back. Yes, always a pleasure. Uh, why don't you take a second and let our listeners know a little bit about yourself and what you do in the gaming community. Okay, well, I'm a writer and designer for uh, both tabletop and electronic games. Um, I'd be best known to this audience for my work with Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. I was one of the original writers, last one still standing, and I'm currently working on the Enemy Within Director's Cut for Cubicle 7. Excellent. We'll definitely get more into that in the very near future. He he makes that sound so humble. Like I'm only doing the director's cut for the most beloved <laughs> RPG adventure ever written. So, <laughs> well, you know, my my dad was never convinced it was a proper job. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, before we move on to what we've been up to, first we'd like to thank our outstanding Patreon backers. Their generous donations help to make this show possible. Absolutely. Uh, to start off, Bennett uh, Aglington. Uh, thank you so much, Bennett. And I hope I got your name right. Yeah, Bennett, thank you. We definitely appreciate it. Also, George Fuentes, thank you so much for becoming a patron of ours. We definitely appreciate it. One quick thing about our Patreon, right now we're only, I think, less than $10 away from hitting one of our goals. And once we hit that, we're actually going to open up a merchandise store. So if yeah. that's something you'd be interested in, take a look at our Patreon and see if it's something you'd be interested in uh, joining. And and from a, a purely selfish point of view, at that point, we become fully self-sufficient, which is which is a <clears throat> huge, huge thing for us on the podcast. Yeah. We appreciate all of our patrons for sure. Yes, thank you so much for all your support. If you'd like to join these fine examples listed above and buy some beer or some tea, be sure to hop on over to our Patreon page and support us. For only a couple of dollars a month, you can help us to continue to bring you discussion and actual play in the grim and gritty world of Warhammer fantasy roleplay. That can be done at patreon.com forward slash old world podcast. All right. So we have a lot to go over in this episode today. Um, and we, so we're going to skip right on to the news section. Um, and this is a part of the show where we keep you up to date on Wolfrup and the related news. And, uh, we have a ton of news. It's been a little bit since we've been able to get a show recording together and out, but more than that, cubicle seven has just dumped a ton of stuff. I think they really embodied the, the holiday spirit and, uh, they're essentially being Santa Claus, just dropping gifts for us left and right. <laughs> Absolutely. <clears throat> 
Um, so first off, we had uh, several Team Tuesday news articles, um, and uh, this is only some of them. There's been a lot throughout. We haven't covered every single one, but uh, there's uh, you definitely go check them out on Cubicle 7's website, uh, cubicle7games.com. First up was Chris Walls. Um, he's a staff editor for Cubicle 7. They had an article about him. Uh, he actually did some editing on the Heart of Glass, uh, which I thought was really interesting. So it was pretty cool. And he's from Kentucky. Uh, and that's not too far from us here. So uh, in the next one, probably uh, this is we finally know who the line editor, the the line producer is for uh, the Warhammer Fantasy roleplay. And that's Pod Podrig 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 yeah man Podrig Podrig yeah. Murphy. I'm, <laughs> I love I'm that we terrible. practiced that. We practiced that before we even started recording, Lance, and it's still. I'm I'm the worst. I, I had to ask him. <laughs> so, um, Podrig, I'm so sorry. Um, uh, he's from Ireland. He has many years of experience in publishing in the print industry. Um, and extensive project management and graphic design experience as well. A really cool um, article and that has a picture. I think he's at Warhammer World or at Bugman's because he's got that. Right, because there's that shield in the background. Yeah. Look- Definitely awesome. His first game was uh, Wolfrop First Edition. It was, it was a great article, so be sure to check that out. Um, another one was uh, Daniel uh, Kovacs and uh, probably said that wrong too but he's uh illustrator and cartographer and he actually and i I think uh, matt you'd be excited to know this i think he's the one that did the map in the slaughter for spitafeld nice that is such an excellent map i agree it's it's uh man anytime you take like the a map and you do it in like non-standard so like in this side it's like a side view uh of that that crazy building uh really good so oh, yeah. he also worked on the Enemy in Shadows and the Companion um, and several others. So uh, be sure to check him out on the uh, Cubicle 7 website. I really enjoy these articles because it you, so many people have so much fun playing Warhammer, but there's so many people that work behind the scenes to make it happen. And, uh, you know, a lot of times you'll take things for granted, like the fact that they have somebody who, you know, edits every single page, every word that's in there. And all, all the different maps and stuff. So it is really neat to to see these and, and see who's you know working on the product line that we love so much. Right. And so oh, and so Graham, uh, what what can yeah. you tell us about our new line line producer and and all this? You've I'm assuming you've got to work with him a little bit. Yeah, yeah. We've uh, had a couple of Skype sessions, and uh, we stay in touch pretty closely by email. Um, He's a very nice guy, very easy to work with. Um, he, he has that, uh, that art of being able to um, spot problems and inconsistencies and point them out to the author without making the author look foolish or <laughs> feel foolish, uh, which I appreciate immensely. Yeah. And, yeah, um, yeah he's, uh, I, I'm enjoying working with him very much. And, you know, apropos of what you uh, you just said, it's it's very true. There is, you know, although I'm sort of the face of the project, there's an enormous team behind the scenes making everything look as good as it does. Um, so I'm very, very grateful to all of them. Well, we are as well. And I'm sure our listeners would say the same. So 
let's uh, talk a little bit about all the new release products that are now either out or available for pre-order. There's been a lot. Um, some we were expecting, one we weren't, but that we're definitely pleased about. So first up, we're going to talk about the Enemy in Shadows Companion. The PDF is released for that, and uh, it, you can pre-order the physical copy of it through the Cubicle 7 website. We're going to talk about this very in-depth uh, later in the episode, so I'll just hit a couple of the of the high points uh, here for the news. There's some excellent maps in the in the book, of course. There's a whole breakdown of the empire, how the politics work in it, which I think is really neat and could be uh, incorporated in uh, sessions in a really unique way. There's travel rules, endeavors that you can do during travel. There's a bunch of information about the information about the road warden, which is really neat. Um, mutants, mutations, tons of NPCs. Uh, I could go on. It's really, it is a great book and I'm excited to talk more about it later in the episode. All right. In other news, uh, the GM screen. I know Lance has been uh, wanting this for quite some time. Uh, it's been available for pre-order since December 11th. Uh, the PDF, as soon as you pre-order, you can use that. Um, it's downloadable. Uh, pretty much includes a glimpse of the beautiful artwork by Sam Manley. It definitely is. Uh, the GM screen is beautiful. Um, it includes a Game Master's Guide. Uh, you'll get some ticks, tips, tricks, and optional rules. And pretty much the GM screen includes everything you need as a GM, you know, for different things, conditions, trappings, NPC quirks. One of the things that I really appreciate, it does have all the stuff that you're you're going to, you know, expect. Hit locations, ranges, success level, stuff like that. But in the top left-hand corner is a whole, like, pretty significantly large section that is just common names in the old world, which is yeah, really neat yeah. for me being somebody who isn't, you know, hasn't been uh, in the Warhammer world for as long. It's it can be difficult to come up with a name that just doesn't sound like in in my case just an American first name. So having this at a at a glance is so is so cool. I'm so glad they decided to to include that because it is very helpful. And also within this, there's some articles discussing some themes in Wolfrup. And, of course, the examination of some of the rules. Of course, advantage, character death, dooming. Um, very nice Yeah, that, that dooming yeah. table. Man. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. I love the tables. Yeah, I uh, I remember I called Matt or or as soon as I – I'm like, Matt, the tables. The tables. Yeah. <laughs> this is uh, yet another example where uh, Lance and I were, like, giggling like school children – as we're scrolling through the pages of this, a lot of great stuff, some great advice on how to create characters, which I think is really cool. A big section about motivation, which if you're new to playing role-playing games, that can be kind of difficult to wrap your mind around what your, how your character is motivated. So there's pages of sample motivations, which I, again, I am really pleased with this, this booklet that's going to be coming with the GM screen. No doubt it'll be something we pick up. That, you know, as as soon as we possibly can. Oh, absolutely, oh, for sure. Definitely going to do a show on this too. Um, the oh, GM screen, sure. yeah. And uh, Lance, you mentioned that there was a with the PDF that comes with it. There's a printer-friendly copy of the GM screen, so you can still at least print the tables and what you might need from the screen for right now to make do. 
Yep, exactly. And uh, that's connected with the PDF when you get it. Or if you buy it directly from Cubicle 7, um, you'll get a copy of the PDF too, even if you pre-order a physical copy. Or if your friendly local gaming store is part of Bits and Mortar, which you can check that out online, um, but they uh, can get you a free PDF as soon as you do the pre-order as well. Great stuff. Very exciting. We've been yeah. waiting for that forever. Yeah, and we were not we were not disappointed when we got it. It's no. uh, it's neat. No, we were not. All right. So on top of all this, we have a bunch of PDFs that um, have been released, including new Uber's Reich um, adventure. Maybe this was the the piece that we didn't expect. We hadn't heard anything about. I but, think I think we we had the slightest idea. Like we had hoped this would be the case, but uh, it was it was a pleasant surprise to say the least. Right, and everybody keeps talking about it. And I can't, I can't even remember the number of times that you, Matt, have mentioned on the show. Like, man, I think I'm just gonna like get them all together, printed in one book binder. And and what we're talking about is Uber's Reich Adventures. So uh, what Cubicle Seven has done is they're taking all the Uber's Reich Adventures that they've released over the last yearish, um, and they're combining them into a single hard cover book that you can pre-order and and get and that that'll include some little extras as well i'm not sure uh how many extra pages but like tips and tricks and outright threats uh to help link the adventures together and they'll have options for more experienced characters as well so i'm not entirely sure what that means yet but you can pre-order that as well and the i i did want to say the the last piece of the uber's Reich adventures the last adventure is called the guilty party and that has been released as well um and that that one uh you can get on on the drive-thru right now as well for 3.99 and um this is actually designed to help bring you into the enemy with it and um you know to connect those uber Reich adventures to the enemy within campaign I love that we're only, you know, a year and a half into having uh, the physical product out, or maybe even less at this point. But there's so many options for players and GMs, right? We have the Enemy Within, that is a huge campaign that could go on for years and years. Or we have little one shots that you can get in the starter set. I feel like the Uber's Reich adventures are a great option if you're not ready to commit to a super long adventure or a campaign, but just to get your feet wet, get people interested in it so i am very excited about getting my hands on this book once it's released absolutely there's been a first a few first edition pdfs that they released as well um so that allows you to get some content that was um that you can't really it's been out of print for a while um apocrypha now uh that was one i was super surprised to see um that we didn't get any announcement on that just sort of popped up one day I mean, they announced it when they released it, but we didn't know it was coming. Uh, that's a $10 PDF from Drive-Thru RPG that has a compendium from first edition, rules and articles and updates for first edition, um, including some adventures that you might be familiar with, Rough Nights at the Three Feathers, Night of Blood, um, so uh, rules for new races and classes and more. So that's really cool as well. Next up is the first part in the Doomstones campaign called Fire in the Mountains, which uh, you can get for $9.99 through, uh, from Drive-Thru RPG. This was originally released back in 1989, and as many of you probably already know, that was something that, uh, Graham, you worked on. Your name's right on the cover. 
<laughs> That's right. Yes, that was um, <clears throat> has quite an interesting history, and it's something we might, might discuss later. But it was um, done by Flame Publications after Games Workshop split them off to make a dedicated role-playing arm, and uh, they were originally written and published for AD and D, and then converted to Warframe later on. But fascinating. Say, that's a longer yeah, story. That is fascinating. So we can only, I mean, we uh, anticipate that the they'll continue to re release those, hopefully, so we can get that entire campaign. Another book that was released as well is the, or that uh, the PDF was released, is the Realms of Sorcery, which is the magic supplement. Uh, again, $9.99, and this is a beast of a book. It's over 250 pages, 22 chapters. It's essentially the size of a book that is all about magic. And I really... I hope this is a sign of things to come for fourth edition because this book is, I mean, it has it all. It's definitely if uh, something that you could use, you know, uh, transfer some of that over to fourth edition, or if you're still running first edition, this is definitely something that I think everybody should have. Yeah. This one is an interesting story too, because with first edition and correct me if I'm wrong here, Graham, but I think the first edition core rule book actually refers to like realms of sorcery for a couple of things but that it didn't does, end up yeah. getting released for like years <laughs> that's right um <clears throat> the uh the, we knew that the magic system needed some work in first edition and we hoped to bring out realm of sorcery fairly quickly after the release of the core rule book but for various reasons it kept on getting delayed and pushed back and eventually hogshead did it i think it was almost 15 years late wow yeah that's quite quite a delay yeah, yeah. wow wow i mean just to know that you know graham in your perspective because this has been out for so long but just for it to come back around for the second round and it just has so much support it's just got to be just amazing because everything pretty much that was going to be out before now has the backing to come out now it just must be That's just so right. nice. It's, um, <clears throat> it's very satisfying. And I must say the same was tr true of second edition. Um, I've been looking through a lot of second edition stuff, refreshing my memory um, as I'm working on the director's cut. And um, that was an incredibly well-supported edition as well. Um, and fourth is, uh, is shaping up to sort of be the best of both. It has... The, the, the old world setting uh, that everyone likes and not everyone was very happy with the um, the post storm of chaos setting for second edition um, but it's got the level of support and the cleaner mechanics um, that everybody did like about second edition right all right we're going to move on to a wolfrop blog post so cubicle 7 has some blog posts and one of the re recent ones was uh, wolfrop the art of war a uh, very I interesting article I had a lot to talk about kind of for the, of course, the combat. Um, a few things discussed, uh, determining optional rules like fast success levels, uh, death blows, weapon length in fighting. Uh, they pr pretty much broke down or breaking down uh, the weapon stats and different w weapon groups for the damage and the qu qualities that they are. And also reach and range was um, discussed as well, which is very important if you want to get down to the nitty gritty fighting tactics yeah and i of course, 
this this one was another another one of those articles written by Ben, and um, this is one of those where pretty much every every article he writes, I think this. I'm like, oh man, I wish I wish he had written this like six months ago before I did this last <laughs> right. thing, right? <laughs> so it's a good information in here. And uh, there there was a new optional rule called the maneuver. So instead of an attack, you make an opposed melee test. Uh, of course, reach is determined with a success. Uh, weapons with longer reach count as improvised. And weapons with shorter reach, uh, minus 10 to hit. Or simply spend advantage equal to the number of steps of reach to change the fight. So very interesting rules for, for, for combat. Yeah, this is something that I think, uh, especially once you really know the rules and you're ready for more the nitty gritty like this optional rule makes a lot of sense to add to your game i like that it just gives you more options right i mean mm -hmm. giving giving the players more opportunity to uh just have different options in combat is always a good thing right so that's not the only article ben has written recently he wrote one on crime and punishment as well excuse me as well and uh man i wish my players had read this before they started getting into before we became horrible criminals. I think is what you're trying to say. Lance. Yeah. Um, some really interesting stuff in here and this article, um, he talks about like, you know, it's, it's a balance as a GM between fun and realism. And like, do you need to punish the characters, you know, getting player buy-in, right? Some of this stuff is pretty high level stuff where, um, you know, getting player buy-in and having a shared storytelling experience, like that's a whole conversation in itself, but that is the foundation for things like that. And in the Warhammer world where, you know, justice is prove, you don't, you prove your, prove your innocence instead of prove your guilt, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's important to have those pieces. Like you don't want your characters necessarily getting away with murder you want them to feel like the actions they have have consequences in the world and that they can't you know that they can end up dying um and and in my opinion actually warhammer is one of the easier systems to do this in and it's because i i tell my players every game of warhammer i've ever um done i've started with uh hey this is warhammer i will kill you and you will kill yourself. I just, the gloves are off. That's the way this world works. It is grim. It's gritty. And half the fun is driving up a new character. So just be ready for right. that. Yeah. Well, and I love the line that's in there. That is, uh, there's no point in punishing the characters if it means punishing the players as well. And right. that I think is an excellent bit of advice for any role-playing game. Not uh, that is certainly not limited to Warhammer. Agreed. Agreed. And it's, you know, at the very least, it teaches your characters to, you know, if you are going to do a crime, uh, be smarter about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Conrad. Oh, the way we think. <laughs> there can be no witnesses, or we're going to be on the. Oh man. Uh, yeah. Our group. Uh, <laughs> we are troublemakers. There's no two ways about it. Uh, Graham, do you uh, have how many times have your players have you had the your players go to jail or or end up in an execution <laughs> row or something? 
Oh God, I've run out of fingers. Um, (laughs) It's true. Uh, But yeah, the line you quoted is, uh, is really the essence of the matter. It should always be entertaining for the players. It should present them with a challenge. It should remind them gently or not so gently to think rather than just wading in, you know, this isn't a certain other game. And, um, uh, yeah, like I say, I always liked uh, to make players think and to make actions have consequences. And, um, you know, you're doing it right when they, the, the players are kind of lamenting, but immediately trying to figure a way out of the situation rather than then, um, you know, it's not GM versus player. It's not your job to try and kill them. Uh, but challenge them, um, embarrass them if they do something stupid, mm. mm-hmm. um, and use it as part of the adventure. Use it as an another, another challenge for them to overcome. Um, make them use their brains. That's the essence of it. Yeah, reminding I, I've I know I've struggled with this, you know, uh, when I first started GMing, reminding myself that it's not it's not me versus them, that it's that, that we are all collectively telling a story and creating an adventure. And uh yeah, that's that's excellent advice for any GM. Yeah, and the, the, as a player, you know, the most enjoyable sessions I've had have been where everything has gone horribly sideways and I've had to <laughs> figure a way out of the situation and um it's uh it's a great feeling when you finally do and you know that uh you know it wasn't the gm letting you off the hook but you did solve the problem yourself you figured it out you came up with the solution and you feel really clever and that's a good feeling yeah well and in our experience we recently had quite a quite a doozy of an actual play session and we somehow made it work obviously some lucky die rolls are always going to be uh required in those situations but yeah very very fun stuff mm-hmm. so there's actually uh, another product that you can find in the cubicle 7 website and that are that is the uh the wolf rub dice trays they're uh, made by all rolled up essentially it's a small square rounded square uh, mouse pad kind of material with snaps in the corners to where you can uh, put those snaps together and it creates a little dice tray that you can use there currently are three different versions. There's one that has the red skull art. Uh, that's from the core rulebook that was done by Scott Purdy and Paul Bourne. There's the part of the branches, which was also, I believe, in the core book. It's yes. uh, like a magic demon artwork that was Sam Manley and Scott Purdy. And then there's the cover of the core rulebook uh, that is excellent as well. That was done by Ralph Hornsley. Which is which is called Grim, by the way. And I don't think I ever knew that before this came out, that the the title of the art piece that's on the cover of the core rule book is grim. Yeah. yeah. What's great about these little dice trays is that they're so, they're so simple and they're so small. They essentially almost perfectly flat to where you could roll it up, throw it in your pocket, uh, easily take it with you anywhere and have a dice tray that, uh, you know, not only is functional, but also looks amazing as well. So check those out at cubicle seven games.com. All right, Steve. On to who? Other news. This one's a big one, and uh, I've been waiting for this for years. Mm-hmm. But Warhammer: The Old World is back. Everything comes around again, even squares. Yeah, this was. Uh, I think. I think when I saw this article, 
I was texting and calling you like over and over again, Steve. I was like, did you see this? Did you see this? So what we're talking about here, obviously, is bringing back um, Warhammer Fantasy, the battle game. Uh, I knew there was a reason I didn't round base my characters. <laughs> Very exciting times. I can't wait. Um, definitely, of course, they already have my money. As soon as the book's out, I'm going to buy it. So Right. So, so Steve and I are huge Warhammer Fantasy battle players from back in the day um, when they discontinued with the Age of Sigmar and the End Times. We were, we'll just say we weren't like the most excited about that. But uh, this is something, now this is years away. Uh, all we have is a logo, and I think the best case scenario I think I saw was three years before we'll see anything. But um, it certainly is showing, and, and I, I choose to believe that it's in no small part to the success of 4th edition that we're seeing Games Workshop r- revitalize and go back to the old world for a battle game. And definitely the old world had so many fans. So, you know, it's it, it, it just exciting times. Like, yeah, I cannot wait. All right, let's talk a little bit about our Battlefield allies, Garblag Games. <clears throat> our friends over there just released uh, Flint and Steel Season 3. So give them some support, uh, if only for the hilarious names of their episodes. So check it out. I know Episode 7, which was is called Knock Knock, Who's Dar? just released so go check it out that's it's such a great name <laughs> i i haven't even listened to that one yet um but yeah it's who's yeah, they, d-h-a-r they, right the yeah yeah that's hilarious yeah they do great work over there definitely worth a listen awesome all right so let's move on to the meat of the show i uh, we're just now there's so much news um Tonight's show, we're super excited as we're going to complete an overview of both The Enemy in Shadows and his companion book. Obviously, Graham is a perfect person to join us for the show as he wrote both of them. Uh, So, Old Worlders, be sure to read the rules on corruption and try not to sweat when you roll on that beautiful mutations table as we go over our review of The Enemy in Shadows in tonight's episode of the Old World Podcast. Um, Before we dig into the review proper, let's do a really quick talk about spoilers. First off, the vast majority of the enemy in shadows, uh, the book itself is the actual adventures for the enemy with the campaign, or at least the first part of it. So um, it would be difficult to discuss this book without like having any spoilers at all. Um, so having said that, we're going to be super careful and not try not to have any like major spoilers um, and thankfully, there is plenty to talk about that won't ruin the adventures for you, especially in the companion book. Um, however, if you don't even want to know about general themes or you don't even want to hear the the name of the insidious evil group or whatever, um, then you probably want to stop listening now. But I think the vast majority of our listeners will be fine. There won't be any major spoilers, um, but we just wanted to give you a warning. So here it is. All right, so The Enemy in Shadows starts out with a, a really nice introduction that goes over what the Grognard boxes are, how they function, which is a really great addition. Graham, I know that when we talked about this at Gen Con last year, you'd mentioned that this was something that was really important because this well, because, is... Oh, yeah, go ahead. People have uh, played the thing <clears throat> over the last 30 years, and the main 
challenge was uh, how to keep it fresh for, for those people rather than just, you know, the same old stuff just with up, updated rules. And so I came up with this idea. Um, and uh, basically, they're just little boxes scattered throughout the text where um, they present options for doing things in a slightly different way, which would be surprising for players who are expecting things to go a certain other different way. And uh, also, because I couldn't resist it, if there are naughty players who use their prior knowledge in an mm -hmm. attempt to gain some sort of advantage, uh, there are suggestions for ways in which the, uh, the GM can punish, humiliate, and embarrass them. Some of them are <laughs> pretty funny, too. <laughs> ties right back to the crime and punishment yeah. <laughs> blog post. <laughs> No, I, uh, I I really enjoy the Grognar boxes. Um, and throughout uh, this book, the the adventure book, they are there. And it's so when when I first thought Grognar boxes, my first thought process was, okay, great. So they're gonna say, all right, you your players have played the enemy within before. Well, this is the big bad guy at the end. Well, here, change it up. You could do this or this, right? Which is which is something that Graham talked about and stuff like that. But but some of these Grognar boxes are are way more. I don't want to say more helpful, but they're they're useful. Not just in like even if I was running a, a list of new players who've never gone through before. Even if I just wanted to change something up, it makes it very easy to do so. Like I think there's one that says, "You meet this particular person in this particular scene." players that have done this before might realize that this is connected this way. And, and then it talks about, well, here's some options that you can turn this on its head completely. And to, to your point, Graham, um, to a point where if they tried to use their knowledge, they might not realize it and it could blow up in their face. Really good and stuff. Right. So the, the book itself is broken down into obviously the first, uh, part of the campaign uh, which is broken down further into nine separate adventures and then at the end of the book there's a huge appendix uh, appendices that is a it's like a 30 page guide to bogenhofen there's new rules uh handouts and things of course so the adventures um again there's nine of those in this they're broken down each adventure section is going to have the story notes on the resolution once the players have finished it and then a full list of all the npcs artwork stats all of that and if you didn't even want to run this as a campaign this book would be invaluable just for the npcs because there are i mean there's got to be hundreds in here at least a hundred by the time you're done with it yeah and each one with artwork and and like the full descriptors and statistics right. in the in the whole nine yards um, so, so Graham, was it your idea to put uh, put the NPC list like at the end of each section like that? No, no, that actually, um, <clears throat> excuse me, that actually came from Cubicle 7. It was uh, part of their house style that they developed in uh, the starter set and the early Ubersreich adventure. And uh, yeah, it just makes a lot of sense. Uh, it sure does. Particularly if you, uh, as you say, want to revisit the NPCs and use them or their stats at least in uh, in other adventures you you can access them very quickly have you have you actually yourself gone back to reference like the pdf the complete pdf like have you found it useful the way that it's been laid out oh yes very 
um, very particularly with the NPCs. I mean, the 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 whole campaign when it's finally done is going to have an enormous number of NPCs. So um, I find myself often referring back, sort of, to find a a similar character and. Uh, there's a little bit of a, a shortcut to to creating them. I always try to make them unique, of course, and the uh, the notes on personality and everything uh, above the stat block help uh, enormously with that. But yeah, like any any GM or anyone creating a scenario, it's always great to have uh, examples. Well, uh, to speak further on this, the way that it's laid out, having them uh, instead of just being spread completely throughout the book collected at the end of each section is really nice. In addition to that, at the very end of the book is an NPC index that breaks down that has a list of every single NPC that's in the book and what page you're going to find them. In a lot of cases, a very brief description of what that NPC is or what, you know, how they would, um, yeah, just a, huge... a you know, brief description of their, their race and their, their career and whatnot. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of that. The NPC index, um, campaign like the enemy in shadows and the enemy within as a whole is you as a player are going to, or as a GM are, are inevitably going to have to reference back. And, uh, this is just going to make it so much easier. So in addition to having the list of NPCs and with the artwork and stats in each adventure section, you're also going to Grognard boxes we've already talked about, lists of rumors, maps, and there are plenty of random events tables throughout the book that I think are just are absolutely excellent. There's a, a random events table on page 58 of, uh, actually, is it 50? Yeah, 58, that has a breakdown of, I think, 20 different things or close to that uh, that are random events, and then a paragraph describing how that would actually function. I love it. I, th I think stuff like that makes it really easy for new GMs and keeps things interesting. Yeah, there are so many Grognar boxes I want to talk about, but I don't want to ruin the be spoilers. So I can't. But there, there's I, I, I got to say, Graham, the Grognar boxes just from like a point of reading are super entertaining for me. So I'm really enjoying them. Oh, well, thanks. I, uh, I must admit, I had fun writing them just sort of. Uh, trying to anticipate things that players might do and, uh, you know, giving the uh, the GM options to, to counter them in a way. As we discussed about um, the, uh, the crime and punishment, uh, uh, doing it in a way that's entertaining as well as <laughs> providing a, a, a suitable uh, reproof for bad behavior. Yeah, so GMs, if you're going to run the enemy within campaign for your group, that that is going to be I, – I, I am going to tell you that's going to be your most entertaining part reading through the campaign right there. All right, so the adventures. Uh, I don't think I uh, want to just go through and name all those, but Graham, why don't you uh, – if there's any in particular that you want to talk about or interesting story production, uh, why don't you go ahead? Well, um <clears throat> The, the main line of the adventure is pretty much the same as it was for first edition um, because people like that and why change it? Um, and uh, what I've done is um, I've tried to improve the, uh, the links between um, mistaken identity, which was the original 
kickoff adventure and Shadows over Bogenhafen. Um, because originally they were published as two uh, separate products in module format. And um, the um, Jim and Phil were writing The Enemy Within, the first installment, and I was writing Shadows over Bogenhafen, and I'd actually started that before, and it was retroactively written into the campaign. Um, and uh, so uh, there was some room for improvement on the uh, the links to make the, the whole progression smoother. And I did that. Um, most notably, I think, um, without too many spoilers, um, when you go to Bogenhafen, you think you're on uh, a particular quest and um, you find out that uh, you find yourselves embroiled in something entirely different. <laughs> and that, uh, that change was rather abrupt. I was never quite satisfied with it. So um, I added a, a scene uh, in which the, uh, your, initial, uh, your initial reason for going to Bogenhafen was dealt with in a, a more tied up in a more satisfying way. Um, but as for the rest, um, it's mostly just updating um, things like um, the demons and the evil cults, the, the, uh, the ruinous powers have uh, been given a much more detailed treatment in the years since Shadows Over Bogenhafen was published. So um, I took all that into account and uh, tried not only to conform to, to Warhammer Old World canon, but uh, especially to, uh, to use that to, uh, to make the whole thing better. You know, and you mentioned the demons, and and I can't believe we haven't even talked about this yet. But this this product, I cannot wait to have it in my hand physically because once again, the artwork is beautiful. And there's a there's a, a full page demon p- artwork of like a, a with colors. I, I'm oh, not, it's it's stunning. Yeah, and I'm not sure who did that. If it was Sam Manley or, or somebody else, but. Man, the the artwork in in this is is gorgeous, and it just draws you in. Like it was one of the first things I saw, and I'm like, "Dang, it's the enemy within!" All right, like <laughs> so good. Yeah the uh, the production job that Cubicle Seven is doing, not just on the enemy within, but on the the whole fourth edition product line, is uh, absolutely amazing. It's such a good looking edition. Yep they they have a standard that. Uh, they have set quite high and for my dollar it's one of the best most beautiful books that i've i've ever had my hands on or yeah, or whole line i should say yeah it's just in yeah it's so good it's so good and and the maps are all really good too um and then man and i and the grognar i'm just because i i'm looking through it right now and i'm looking at the there's a there's a grognar box that's one of my favorites and I, I'm not gonna say what's in it but it's it says options looking for a cheat and it just oh, so good so so anyway um but the the book doesn't only include the adventures uh, which is which is part one right we have four other books mm-hmm. coming out for the enemy within director's cut um but it includes that's a right. whole giant appendices um as well and one of those is a guide to bogenhofen 
it, it, it's pretty much the same setup as a starter set for Uber's Reich, which was excellent. Um, it will also include maps, the timeline of Bogenhofen, a uh, breakdown of all areas of Bogenhofen, like a new Uber's Reich guide. Uh, each area and location uh, will have a detailed uh, description and also, like before, have two different adventure hooks for each location, which we loved. And, of course, more cults and gangs. Okay, so we raved on this show about the starter set and the guide to Uber's Reich and, and how useful it was with the way it was format, the story hook ideas. The exact same thing goes for, for a guide to Bogenhofen. Um, yeah, the starter set set the bar yeah. pretty high, so we uh, we couldn't do less for Bogenhafen. Now, and you you did a lot of I, gosh, I'm wondering. There was an article that talked about. I think it was on. Why am I drawing a blank on the video game? Vermintide. Uh, Thank Vermintide. you. Jeez, oh, Pete. Right where you talked about um, Bogenhafen. So, um, did you like how much? Like how much, I mean, we've had a guide to Bogenhofen in the past, but this is obviously right. a, a little bit different and stuff. Um, did you find it easier to write uh, this section this time around? Um, well, yes, because, um, you know, I wasn't just starting from a blank page. There was a lot of stuff uh, that was published in the original Shadows over Bogenhofen uh, to create that sandbox that was usable beyond the playing of the, uh, the initial adventure. Um, so in a way that almost, uh, came from a similar intention to, uh, the intention behind the starter set, uh, back in first edition days. Uh, and, but because there was so much, uh, material there, I could start with that. Um, I could be inspired by the starter set. And, uh, I have to say, um, uh, Andy Leesk, uh, did an awful lot of work on Bogenhafen as well. And he'd done, uh, um, I think he was the main writer on uh, for Uber Strike on the starter set. And um, so uh, he did a, a lot, uh, especially the um, adventure hooks. And um, I went through the locations, um, added somewhere uh, I felt there was a hole, you know, looking back over 30 years, you can, you can see like, Oh, well, I should have done this or what about <laughs> having one of those or, or uh, um, plus there was a, a lot of, uh, of feedback, obviously from fans over the years. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with um, Gideon and his um, enemy within companion that uh, was an enormous commentary on the, uh, the first edition campaign. Uh, and uh, those comments and others uh, were uh, were incorporated, and uh, it was just a lot of fun. It was just going back to, to something from a long time ago and, and giving it a bit of a pop. Nice. So to answer your actual question, the one you actually asked, yeah, it was um, it was a lot easier than uh, than just uh, starting from scratch. Do you have a, f a favorite story hook out of out of the Bogenhofen section? Uh, out of the hundreds, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> out of the hundreds, um, not really. Um, I think they're all good. Um, oh well, yes, actually, I do. Um, the North Barracks for Blackfire, where uh, the uh, the characters. Uh, uh, let me see. It's on page one thirty-two. Uh, when a riot 
breaks out in the pit, the characters take shelter in Fort Blackfire, which is a, a watch uh, post, only to find themselves besieged by angry rioters and thugs out for blood. As most of the handful of watch are missing or out on patrol, it falls to the party to support Lieutenant Brota and defend the barracks, which is, actually, which is of course, an absolute, complete and utter steal from an old movie called Assault on Precinct 13. <laughs> Uh, and actually, the name Fort Blackfire is a, another steal from um, a movie of similar vintage called Fort Apache, the Bronx. And they called it Fort Apache mm. because it, it was a, an outpost in enemy territory, the Bronx being quite lawless at that time. And uh, I stole that idea and called the watch post in the middle of the pit, the, uh, the low class criminal area. I called it Fort Blackfire in tribute to that. Another um, another Easter egg. <laughs> and yeah. Easter egg. yeah there you go yeah and it's it's actually quite a quite a a nice little setup to uh you know your uh we keep coming back to crime and punishment but say you're in the <laughs> cells and uh you know this riot breaks out and and you have to uh you have to save the watch post and the uh, a few watchmen who were your adversaries previously i i like that sort of uh that sort of juxtaposition and, and the way you can flip the script. One one of my players is absolutely that that player. The oh, you were my captor, but now I'll save you because you need help. Mm. While the rest of my players are saying, "Let's kill them all." <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's awesome. My favorite story hook actually. Um, there's a Garden of Moore section, and it talks about a, a crypt ghoul that is uh, disturbing the dead. Yeah, is being helped and tracks are being covered by a small child. And they ask the question, why isn't the child being attacked by the crib ghoul? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole uh, adventure right there. Yeah. yeah. That's that's what I love about these story hooks. We talked about it with the starter set, and I, I say it again right now that there's a you know a several paragraph description of every location or you know, just about every location in Bogenhofen with at least two story hooks for each. There's a section that talks about the, the cults and the various groups that are there. This is, this is not a small amount of information. Uh, it's, it's gotta be close to a quarter or a third of this entire book goes over everything you need to know about Bogenhofen. And I think it's, it's, it's wonderful information for anybody who's, who's running Warhammer, whether you're, you're actually doing the, uh, the enemy in shadows or not. Well, good. That's the intention. And it always was with, um, the original first edition enemy within publications was that, um, they, they should continue to be useful after you've played the adventure. You know, you don't just play the adventure like a, an old school module. You play the adventure and then you just throw it in a corner because it's done. There's nothing more. To right. Add from it. Right. Yeah, that leads right into the uh, the next section of the book, which is the second appendix, and this goes over a bunch of new rules. Mm -hmm. uh, starting out, talking about NPCs, how to build them, different tips and tricks. There's a whole table that talks about the different accents that you would have based on where you are in the world, which is so cool. Accents and doing voices and things are such a great way to to liven up the atmosphere and to give it a more real kind of feeling and this is just a great a great addition to the book i uh, i know lance when you and i first started scrolling through this that was one of the things that you and i both just fell in love with right out of the gate 
It, it is a lot of fun. And uh, one thing Cubicle 7 has, one of the many things Cubicle 7 has done fantastically well with this edition is that they never take their eye off the GM. They know that uh, this is the the who's going to be using the product and they do everything they can to give the GM more. And this is a perfect example. It's a <clears throat> tiny little uh, table, quarter of a page at most. Yeah. Yep. But it adds so much in, in the hands of a GM. It can be so inspiring. Well, and it's just something that until you GM, you don't understand how difficult it can be to be put in the situation like, Oh, Nuln is, is supposed to be different. Like I've seen yeah. entire threads on the Facebook Warhammer group talking about what a Nuln accent should be. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think, I think it's, they, they did a great job of, of making this easy for you. Like, um, because I, I don't necessarily know all the accents. Warhammer is a very worldwide game. Right. And yeah, and, so like, but I know the accents around my area a lot better. So, yeah. so for example, one of my like rural accents is kind of a U.S. Southern accent that I use for some of my halflings sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it, it, I don't know, that could be very different for someone playing the game in Poland or something, right? Absolutely. And that's, that's another uh, example of how well this table has been thought through uh, by the, the guys at Cubicle 7 is that, you know, Altdorf is the accent of your capital city. Your Midland is tough and direct. It's not like a London accent or a Yorkshire accent uh, because they know people who are going to read this um, to whom those those distinctions mean nothing. Right. And it wouldn't be immediate, uh, you know, for, uh, for players, as you say, in Poland or France or uh, even the States. And that, that immediacy is what um, <clears throat> the accent will tell you more about the province, probably, than um, a page of text. It's true. Yeah. There's, uh, in addition to the great part about accents, there's a whole new section that's about disease and infection. The one that the first one that's listed on there is purple brain fever. And I reading this, I just <laughs> fell in love with it. Uh, is a fear disease. It causes the head to swell to an appalling size. And if that's not enough Amen. to make you want to incorporate that into a game, I don't know. What it is. Uh, that's right. Um, in treating the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, um, in, in doing the update from the original first edition version, there were a few things and of which this was one um, that weren't covered in the rule book. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I thought initially, well, we've got a range of diseases in the rule book. Shall I just use one of those? And then I thought, no, this is the old world. There's no such thing as too many diseases. <laughs> Thank you, Graham. Yeah. <laughs> well, some new symptoms as well. Delirium oh, yeah. and swelling, which are, again, both really neat, neat ways to give life to uh, death, potentially. <laughs> <laughs> my my very characters haven't experienced the pleasure of a disease yet but uh i'm sure it's gonna come <laughs> yeah so my, my with lances or gm there's no doubt that we're gonna get oh disease ridden before too long you guys are so lucky though because i think i mentioned this before our very first foray into that goblin cave at the very beginning of our our show um one of the first things i did is when i found the disease section in the main rule book is like create your own disease and i'm like yes please and i did and then you guys passed all your tests and i was so sad but i still have that disease written down but nice but swelling 
in all this didn't exist, right? They mm-hmm. do now. So I think I need to go back and, and update my disease with some <laughs> some more symptoms. Nice. So uh, there's also, I mean, there's more uh, on top of, of what we've already gone through. There's creature traits, mutations that uh, are included in there as well. And then um, a whole nother appendix that's all about handouts. Yeah. And there's something in here I wanted to mention, impossible difficulty, which when I saw that, I was like, yes. And and then I immediately thought, why wasn't this? This should have just been in the main rules to start. Uh, there are a lot of impossible things that your players try. And having more levels of difficulty, I don't think, is a bad thing. Right. <laughs> yeah, it would make Even it that much really more exciting if you if you succeed at it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you could have you could have our elf do an impossible test and she'd still pass. So I don't know yeah. what, what the point of it would be there, but there's still a chance because because when she fails, she fails spectacularly. Yeah. <laughs> have, so Lance, I know that uh, that the first like player aid handout that's on there is one that you are are uh, particularly happy about, or maybe not. Yeah, no, I'm 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 happy, but it would have been nice like right before I did all the work. But um, so I put together this is an imperial calendar that they have, which I love the fact that there's so much history and depth to the world that the Empire Warhammer has its own calendar. Um, it has two moons that have different phases, um, and. It's interesting that there are days that are like holidays um, that don't even fall within one of the months, um, like uh, Hexatag, I think, is one of them. Anyway, I, I'm not going to talk a ton about this, but the Imperial Calendar really makes it, to me, as a GM, it helps me to drive immersion because um, sometimes you just you can hand wave this stuff and it's completely fine, but um, the way, like, I know exactly what day of what month my characters are in and that's just my gm style you don't have to do it that way but having this helps me because then i can go oh if there is a what's the word i'm looking for a holiday right that's coming up then i can breathe life into the world oh they're they're preparing for witching night which is next week you know yeah that can make a big difference in in your story and what in in the Warhammer world, which is already so steep with lore. So, anyway, I love it. Right. Think think about it like a like you know. Uh, right now, we're recording this just a few days after Christmas, and how how many movies and TV shows have Christmas episodes? Well, you could incorporate the same kind of thing, right? There's holidays that happen in the old world that are that are significant, that are huge. And being able to incorporate that in, I think, is really is a really neat thing. Could make for a very memorable adventure. Right. And plus, there are a ton of handouts that are all at the back of the book that are happened throughout the Enemy Within campaign. Different letters and notes and tons of maps. So good. The maps are really good um, in, in all this, too. So all of that is in there. And then, of course, we also talked about there's an index and an NPC index, which is which is awesome as well. Yep. I love the fact that the handouts, a lot of them, the ones uh, appear to be like handwritten notes and letters. They're not just white text or black text on white background. They each have their own distinct look with different handwriting and different little, you know, tidbits there that I'm sure all, you know, very deliberately chosen in some cases. Right. Okay, guys. So. This is just the 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 
enemy within adventure module the book and it's more it's so much more than that so like in conclusion i think i we all want to give our thoughts here but the, the biggest thing the biggest thing i'm just going to pick one the biggest thing for me me is this is not just an adventure book the guide to bogenhofen the story hooks that are in bogenhofen um even if you've run the adventure before the enemy within and you don't want to um even if you don't want to run the same adventure you could use pieces of the grognard sections just like to spin them off into other adventures honestly you really could there are great fun ideas in those and and then all the the optional rules that are at the end the calendar everything that's there this book is is great it is a if you're a gm that is going to run the enemy within obviously it's something you're going to get but if you're a gm anyway there is a lot if you're going to run anything in bogenhofen or you're just looking for more content or ideas or story hook ideas this is a great buy so i guess my biggest thing on the conclusion is i mean the what can you say about the enemy within except it's already great and and time and public opinion has proven that right now we get the director's cut you know which is fixing it up, making it even better, and giving us lots of new different ways that we can choose to play it, plus a bunch of extra stuff to go with it. Uh, it's a win-win in my book. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna mirror a lot of what you said, Liam. For me and my group, it's unlikely I could ever find uh, people that would be able to commit to a really long-term campaign. So the likelihood of me running the enemy is pretty slim. However, that being said, I see so much value in this book in all of the appendices that are in there, the extra rules, the, and the guide to Bogenhofen is worth the cost right there. All of the different locations, all the story hooks, which I love story hooks. I, I, this is absolutely something I would own whether or not I'm going to run the enemy within, uh, in its entirety. So I think it's a, yet again, we've said it before. Uh, it was, won't be the last time we say it. This is an excellent product. Something that um, I think is worth owning regardless of whether you're going to run the whole campaign or not. And I pretty much have the, the same thoughts as Matt and Lance there. Um, but to go just on another path here, I, I just really appreciate the detail that's put into these books. Um, it, it's just, it, there's so much depth to it that even just reading these companions and the rule book and the adventures is fun, let alone playing it. But it's just that you can go from the, the, this game so open where you can just kind of do it your way or you can really do it like in depth. And I appreciate like the detail and the artwork and everything's just awesome. Yeah, I agree. And then, you know, I, I like that thought that you brought up too, Steve, right? Because the fourth edition is often one of the, the biggest strengths of fourth edition is that it's written from the point of view of giving options, right? Play it your way, right? And uh, and the same thing is here, right? And, and it's kind of what I was saying earlier with the Grognard boxes. Like even if you're running a brand new group, it provides options and, and fun ways for you to do that. So, um, yeah. So Graham, awesome job on this product, man. Super, super great. Well, thank you. Thank you. You're very kind to say so. And, um, you know, as I've said, I'm so happy with the, um, the team from cubicle seven who've, uh, done a, a brilliant job and they've 
added and polished and, and made it even better still. Uh, I really couldn't be happier. Yeah. Yep. And we've, we've said it a hundred times too, that cubicle seven, they, I've never seen them put out an ugly product, right? Like they, they, everything they put out is absolutely stunning and beautiful and gorgeous. And, uh, this is no exception. So let's move on, um, to the feed your greater demon show segment. Feed your greater demon. In the Feed Your Greater Demons show segment, well, we talk about ideas you can use to help support your Fligus friendly local game store and build your Wolfrock uh, uh, community. Have, have you heard that, Graham? Fligus ever? I, I, I've never heard it pronounced. Yeah. Um, I'm now trying to decide whether to put it into the old world as a creature or a disease. Oh, Ooh, please do. Yes. Please do. Honestly, believe that we coined that that phrase "fligus" in honor of Woofrup being being uh-huh. spoken aloud. So right. So today's idea. <laughs> um. All right. So today's idea is to serial serialize your games and or campaign. So one of the biggest struggles is if you are GMing a game in a, in a store setting you are going to have a revolving door of players, right? There's going to be no guarantee that the players you might have one week are going to be the same the next week. A player might come for two weeks, leave for three weeks, come back. You have a lot of in and out. So one of the best ways to do that is to serialize your game. So you can still have an ongoing, like, overarching storyline, but you want to think of it from the point of view where you have to make it so it's not necessarily important that you miss a session as a player. And so the, the best way I can think of to say this, think of it like a t- the TV show, right? Especially if you think of older TV shows where you could watch the original Star Trek and you could watch the episodes completely out of order and it wouldn't make that big of a difference, right? What happened in one show or, you know, one show to the next show didn't often follow a very large impact. And so you can use that same sort of method to serialize your own storyline in a game. I think I wrote there's a three-step method, and then I wrote five steps. But so <laughs> it's a five-step method. So like pick a TV show, right? Something that's serialized. Like um, like I mentioned Star Trek, but it could be anything. Um, Firefly. I think, I think Star, Star Trek is an excellent, mm-hmm. uh, excellent show to refer to here because it does have that feel. Firefly. Absolutely. I was even going to mention a more recent series, and that is The Mandalorian. has yeah. a few episodes that have that serialized feel. That you could translate those over to Warhammer in a blink of an eye. Right. Right. Actually, it's great. So you choose almost any TV show that is serialized. And then step two is take the world and convert it uh, to work in the Warhammer setting. Right. So just take that storyline, take the bits and pieces and then go, okay, now this is in Warhammer. So instead of a spaceship, it's a river barge or whatever it might be. Right. Um, then pick an episode out, out of what you're looking at to give you an idea for, right. Cause in theory, the TV show you're watching has a plot, a beginning and end, a climax, right. The whole nine yards. And then step four is probably the funnest part. Warhammerize it. So, throw some demons and disease and whatever else you can get in there. And here's an example of this. So earlier I said firefly, right? So there's a firefly episode where 
the uh, crew or maybe your party's old time friend comes and needs some help. He's running from some bad guys. Well, it turns out he's smuggling organs in his body and they're trying to hunt him down. Well, what if instead of organs, someone's smuggling chaos artifacts somewhere and they're putting them in their body? Imagine how much fun you could have with that. Right. And what would a chaos artifact do? And if I didn't get to the, my delivery point quick enough, like what would it do to me? What, you know, oh man, just so many ideas coming off that. And so, and that's a one shot, right? Yeah. I'm thinking now of a, maybe a, a gestating demon or other chaos entity that's uh, safe while it's, uh, it's in the egg, so to speak. But uh, after a certain time, if it's not removed with the proper rituals, it goes alien on the poor carrier. Uh Uh-huh. Look at this. Look at it. We're, we're, we're writing adventures here. That's, that's exactly it. Right. So I got this whole concept and idea from a single uh, TV episode. Right. And then you, you, you move on. So um, my last step is keep us, keep it simple, right? Kiss the kiss principle. Keep it simple, stupid. Um, Remember that you're doing a three hour one shot. Don't overdo it. Um, And you can have, I put down here, have two and a half scenes with a backup depending on your group, just have the idea. The idea here is that you're making something that is going to be quick. That's going to be fun. That can handle multiple players. Um, you know, multiple different numbers of players. Some, but if you have some scene ideas, right? So in our example, I would have a scene where they meet their friend, things are going on, they're being chased. And then a scene where it's revealed that he's smuggling this stuff. And then obviously maybe our last scene is, you know, the, the players either get get the ritual performed quick enough or they don't and either way is a ton of fun right anyway that's so that's my feed your greater demon soul segment this time um serialize your your games and use tv as a, as an example you don't have to make it hard on yourself and warhammerize it so much fun oh yeah warhammerize everything <laughs> <laughs> yeah i like i i i may be using that word i like that awesome all right well that's the end of our show tonight once again uh graham i want to thank you so much for joining us uh to talk about the enemy within um it has been a pleasure having you oh it's always a pleasure to talk about warfrop and the enemy within thanks for having me back all right so intrepid listeners keep in touch let us know your questions feedback and even show topic suggestions You can contact us multiple ways by checking out our website at www.oldworldpodcast.com, on Twitter at Old World Podcast, and of course Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Old World Podcast. And while you're checking us out on the various social interwebs, be sure to hop on over to our Patreon page and support us. If you like what we're doing and want to help out, become a patron. For only a couple dollars a month, you can help support the show and get some cool rewards too. Check us out at patreon.com slash oldworldpodcast. Also, let us know what you think. Visit iTunes or your preferred podcast service and rate us. Every review helps us reach even more Warhammer fans. All right, Graham, uh, go ahead and let people know where they can find you. Okay, so I'm active on Facebook and uh, MeWe. Uh, I tweet as at Graham J. Davis, and uh, I have a blog at, uh, on WordPress, grahamdavis.wordpress.com. Um, which has been dormant for a while, but which is about to become quite active. 
All right, I guess that's it for us. So this is Lance saying goodnight. And if someone from a back alley gives you an artifact and wants you to smuggle it in your body, no amount of gold is worth it. This is Matt saying, remember, mutants are people too. But uh, yeah, you should probably kill them. This is Steve saying goodnight. And if you tell me that you've caught the Fligus, I'm going to run. <laughs> Oh, this is Graham saying, uh, keep your hand on your purse and may your swash never buckle. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Graham, th- thanks again for being on. We always love having you here. Oh, pleasure, guys. This podcast and related website are completely unofficial and are not endorsed by Games Workshop Limited or Cubicle 7 Entertainment. It is intended for educational and informational purposes only. GW Games Workshop, Warhammer, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, and all associated logos, illustrations, images, names, creatures, races, vehicles, locations, weapons, characters, and the distinctive likenesses thereof are registered trademarks of Games Workshop Limited, Cubicle 7 Entertainment, or their respective trademark or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast, including any audio or video information, is the intellectual property of the Old World Podcast and Crimson Tower Studios, LLC.